0: Well, good evening. Welcome again to Epiphany Lutheran Church. So glad you can make it out here on this Thanksgiving weekend. It is uh, it is a blessing to continue, actually, to finish our series this evening called uh, "What If," where we're looking at a number of "What If" questions that I think uh, most of us have had at one time or another in our life. Uh, tonight's topic is going to be "What If God has called me to be single? What if He's called me to be alone?" Um, Now, let me read from our passage that I think deals specifically with that issue, found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and then we'll have you be seated and we'll dig into our sermon. It begins in verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 7. It reads like this. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single, as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Then you skip on down to verse 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things how to please his wife and his interests are divided and the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord how to be holy in body and spirit but the married woman is anxious about worldly things how to please her husband I say this for your own benefit not to lay any restraint upon you but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord and if anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed If his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is certainly no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well. And he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, I ask that you would guide us in understanding your word tonight, that your spirit would speak to us, and that we would be given clarity, and the hope that can only come by the power of your spirit through the preaching of the gospel. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, I was speaking at a, a conference uh, not long ago here in New York City. And one of the speakers uh, was from the South. He was just up to, to share and he did a phenomenal job. He's a great speaker. Um, and there was sort of a and a time where this person was addressing the crowd. And he said something interesting at one point. He said um, he was talking about the pressure where he was at to get married where he was from, in the South. And he said, I know a lot of you women feel pressure to get married early, but you don't have to be married to be faithful to the Lord. And in response, another speaker who was from the city raised his hand real quick and said, well, actually, actually what's true is um, probably in many other parts of the country, there is that kind of cultural pressure to get married early, but here in the city, people wait a much longer time And many don't think that marriage is really necessary at all. So it's different here. It's different. And indeed, I mean, we do live in a place that sees itself, I think, as different in the way it thinks about singleness uh, than a lot of other places in the country. I think that that's probably a true statement that a lot of us, um, that a lot of this city does uh, maybe see themselves as waiting a little longer before they get married. However... In an article for The Thrillist, um, Erica Kaplan, a matchmaker with Three Day Rule, is being interviewed and she, she kind of goes along with this at first. She says, no one moves to New York to find love. The article goes on, we think of marriage as something that would get in the way of our careers or our fun single lives. There's always someone even more spectacular out there, something that's better off left to our friends out in the burbs. Marriages for people in the birds. Men and women both move here for careers over relationships, she continues. They take education seriously. They are responsible. They're smart, confident, and they want to be sure of who they are and where they are going before they pick a mate. I mean, for sure, this is somebody who lives in the city that's saying this, right? I mean, they, you know, just, they, we are amazing. We are amazing. Um, but here's the interesting thing. That whole idea might not be all that accurate that New Yorkers are just totally cool with being single. Turns out in the 2016 Singles in America report, Match.com found that 23% of singles in this country don't want to get married. That's what they say. About a quarter of single people in this country don't want to get married. However, the study finds that those from New York are 29% more likely to want to marry compared to non-New Yorkers. 31% of singles in New York City are more likely to be actively looking for someone to commit to. The most astonishing fact of all, those from New York City are 58% more likely to say that finding someone who is eager to marry is very important to them. Compared to non-New Yorkers, 58%. So what does that tell us? Well, it tells us, number one, New Yorkers do a good job of at least pretending like they're not that interested in finding a partner. But number two, it tells us that, in fact, most people, no matter where they're at, would love to have somebody to live their life with. They'd love to not be single. But what if? That's God's call for you. What if God has called you to be single? What does the Bible say should be our response? I think the passage I read to you uh, just now is probably the most clear sort of passage about this issue. And we're going to try and extrapolate from there a few things. First of all, I think if you are single, you should recognize that it could be temporary. That it might not be for your whole life. Verses 1 and 2 of the passage, which I didn't read, sort of make this clear, but really no matter how old you are, this rule applies, that you're not necessarily guaranteed to be single. It could just be temporary. Why? Because you don't know what tomorrow will bring. Uh, You may assume that because you've lived single long enough that this is just what God has in the cards for you, that that couldn't that isn't necessarily the case. As a matter of fact, I don't think I'm telling you anything, any tall tales out of school here, that, you know, the vast majority of people do end up with somebody in America as well as the rest of the world. Now, in the church in Corinth, where Paul was writing this letter to, uh, apparently there had started to be a teaching that crept into the church that basically said that to be married or to have sexual relations with a, with a person was just dirty and wrong and you shouldn't Need that. You should be just fine being stoic and emotionless and not being with anybody else. And so Paul sort of addresses this. He gets asked a question. Is it good for man not to have sexual relations with a woman? So he begins the first verse. It is good for man not to have sexual relations with a woman. He's quoting them. But, verse 2, because of the temptation to immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. He goes on in verses 7 and 8 of our text that I just read to the unmarried and the widows I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am but if they can't exercise self control they should marry for it is better to marry than to burn with passion in other words uh, Paul is saying that the general rule of thumb is that most people will and do get married that is the general rule and that's just fine according to Paul Paul says good for you so Odds are, if you're single now, chances are you won't stay that way. For many. For example, consider the story from the Huffington Post recently of 88-year-old Betty Jane Allhouse. In November 2012, the retirement home resident got married for the first time at 88 years old to a fellow resident she had met just six months earlier. Sure, Allhouse dated when she was younger, but she just never married. She said she just gave up thinking about marriage. Then she moved into this retirement home and she met this real hip dude, a 78-year-old guy named Walter Loman. He started putting the moves on her, and pretty soon she was like, "Yeah, all right." And he asked her to marry him six months later, and she said, eh, "I guess I could use another friend. That's literally her reasoning. Why not? I'll have another friend." And she got married. first time, 88 years old. So you never know. You never really know. It could be. It could be that it's temporary. Now, I can hear some of you saying right now in your head, yeah, that's really a nice story and everything, but I, uh, I really don't want to wait until I'm 88, bro. <laughs> that doesn't sound appealing to me, Eric. Um, and don't worry, don't worry. That is the rare exception to the rule. The general rule, of people, is that most people, most people will get married for the first time long before that. Okay, that said, now that we've kind of gotten that out of the way that's the caveat that most people will be temporary there is a number of people that will be called to live single lives for the rest of their life that is a thing in scripture the apostle Paul was an example of that Jesus himself was an example of that there are many single people in scripture that are extolled so what then What if God's calling you to live the life of a single person for the rest of your life? Well, our passage tells us that we're called to recognize it as a gift and an opportunity. Recognize it as a gift and an opportunity. For you personally, the Apostle Paul wants you to recognize singleness, whether it's temporary or lifelong, as a gift. Listen again to verse 7 and 8. I wish that all were as I myself am. You can find this in your bulletin if you want to read along. I wish that all were as, my, were as I am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Now what is he talking about? He says this, verse 8. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single, as I am. Now why, Paul, would it be good for a person to remain single? He answers that a few verses later. Verse 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things. Now, the way worldly is being used here is not to mean evil or bad. It just means like literally like earthy things, like things, the, the daily practicalities of life that come with marriage. And he says the same thing about wives. If you get married, he's saying, then you got to worry about taking care of a spouse. And most likely, if you get married, you're going to have kids. And then you've got to worry about taking care of kids. And frankly, that's going to dig into the time that you can devote yourself to the Lord. But if you're single, Paul says, you have less hindrance. You can really devote yourself. That's the idea. Paul's point is that singleness can be a gift. And yet, Paul says it's not a gift because of what the world will tell you that you can date whoever you want, anytime you want, sleep with whoever you want, party all the time, whenever you want, et cetera, etc. Et it's because you won't have as much to divide your attention from serving God with your life. This advantage to singleness needs to be said more often in churches. Because so often, it seems that the church in America markets... Itself to people that are married with 2.3 kids, two cars and a sensible life insurance policy. Right? I mean, and there ain't nothing wrong with it. That's good. I'm I'm in that boat. I mean, I'm there. I got three kids, you know. Married three kids in a pretty darn sensible life insurance policy. I'm that guy. I'm that dude. That's great. But Paul extols Singleness. Paul extols it. Now, mind you, um, it doesn't mean that it's easy or that just because you're single, you will be more devoted to the Lord. But he says that's easier if you are single. I can personally attest to this being true um, in a number of ways. When I was single, I spent I mean, a lot of my time in cafes after work, which I didn't have to make very much money because it was just well, it was providing for me, I would go to a uh, cafe and I would go talk to people about Jesus. That's what I would do. I'm not trying, I'm not trying to pump me out. I'm just telling you that's what I did when I was in my early 20s. When I got hungry, I didn't have to think about paying for a family to eat. You know how much it costs to pay for a family of five to eat? My rent would have been vastly cheaper because I didn't need nearly as much space. I was free to serve in the church. Basically, any night of the week, I was at the church all the time to do whatever they wanted me to do. So there's a a general truth to what Paul is saying here. Like, if you're single, you're you're more free to do this kind of stuff. Take advantage of it, is what he's saying. It's a gift. Might not be a gift forever for you, but if it is right now, it's a gift. On the other hand... This is where the church corporately can be a gift to those who are single. Because because we get to provide a real community of intimacy and friendship for those who are single. And I can't overstate how important this is. I have a friend who believes that God has called him to a life of celibacy or singleness. He believes that that is going to be his lot in life. And yet he will be the first one to say that there are times where he has longed for the intimacy of another. In talking with me, he has made it abundantly clear that just because someone is called to live the single life, this does not mean that they crave intimacy any less. And he has told me how absolutely essential the community of the church has been for him to have that intimacy. So for the church, this is both a gift and a challenge. It's a challenge for us to go out of our way to make sure that those who are single in our midst get just as much attention as the married people with 2.3 kids and the sensible life insurance policy. We need to make sure that everybody is getting the kind of care that they need in the church. That said... Uh, The single life, even within within a church community, can be challenging. So it is most essential that you recognize who your true spouse is. This last point is really true for everyone, and I'm sorry if this seems mysterious. Don't worry, I'm going to explain it. Whether you've been married for 60 years or you live a life that's really filled, and you feel fulfilled by your singleness, you You both, sitting in here, need to have a truer and better spouse than anyone that you could possibly be with here. No matter who you are. Regardless of your relationship status with somebody here, you need a true and better spouse that will truly love you unconditionally, a spouse that will see all your imperfections and care for you just as much, a spouse who will never leave you nor forsake you, a spouse whose faithfulness will never end, a spouse who is so committed to you that he would suffer and bleed and even die just to have you as his very own. And that true and better and ultimate spouse that we're all called to have is Jesus Christ. Now don't get weirded out by that. In the Bible there are a number of pictures given to express the intimacy that Jesus has with the church. With you and I. There's a very common one later on in 1 Corinthians. Paul will give the uh, sort of illustration of Jesus as the head and the church as his body. And each person is a member of his body. It's a very understandable picture. We can get that. But I think uh, there's another one. There's a picture of him as shepherd and we as the sheep. So he's the shepherd over the pasture and he's helping uh, guide the sheep and feed the sheep. But I think the most beautiful picture in scripture is found, especially in the book of Revelation, where we're told that at the end of time, when everything is finally resolved and everything sad has come untrue and, and life is what it was meant to be in the eternal kingdom, that Jesus will present himself as the groom To his church, his bride. The groom will come to to his bride. You are his bride. Here's my point no matter where your status is, relationship wise, if Jesus isn't your ultimate spouse, you're inevitably going to be disappointed. You're inevitably going to put too much pressure on your spouse to be that kind of perfect person. You need Jesus to be your true and better spouse. I remember when this came through to me in a profound way. The church was packed. All our friends were there. It was decorated beautifully. It seemed like Seems seemed like I had stood up near the altar for hours waiting for my bride to come. My wedding day, I was standing right up front here. I was just standing here waiting stiff as a board, trying not to do anything that made me look awkward, which of course made me look awkward. And I'm sweating bullets, thinking about what's about to happen. And then I see her, I see my bride turn around the corner. And she's as beautiful as she can possibly be. And I totally blew it. I thought that I would not get emotional and that I'd be the man about it. And I started crying like a wimp. I was so excited to see her. And she comes down the aisle. And I cannot wait for this moment. We're going to get married finally. We're getting Married, and She arrives up here and we stand here and then we look up at my pastor. And my pastor looks down at us and after a few introductory words says, I don't believe Eric and Melissa are ready to be married. <laughs> you can hear my wife laughing now. She was not laughing then she was not there was a moment of like I mean Ron my pastor and I were very close but there was a moment where I was like bro don't be all cutesy and theological now like what are you doing make this the typical wedding sermon talk about how awesome we are and how much of a great life we're going to have and read First Corinthians or whatever about love and get us out of here come on And then he continued, but Eric and Melissa's readiness isn't what I'm concerned about. The truth is, no one's ever really ready to give their life up for another, except one. There's only one who's really ready for them to be married, or for anybody to be married, or for anybody to live, and that is Jesus Christ. Though, though you, Eric, and Melissa aren't ready, he is, and he is enough. Well, okay, Pastor Ron, okay, fine. He's right. So here's the deal for you in closing whether you're with someone, whether you're single and you really want to be with someone, or you're single and you're, you're, you're content with it. You're, this is what you believe God's got for you. Here's what you need to recognize again and again and again. You need God in Jesus Christ to be the one ready to guide you and lead you and carry you and to be your true spouse before anybody else. Still, only He is ready. Before we say "I do" to anyone else, God calls us to say "I do" to Him. So to answer the question, uh, "What if God calls me to a life of singleness?" is really no different than the answer, "What if God calls me to a long life of marriage?" It is ultimately. Learning more and more to look to Him to be the partner we are truly meant for in this life and in the life to come. And as you learn to walk in relationship to Him, it is He then that will empower you to walk in marriage or singleness according to His will with His power. Will you pray with me? Father, <clears throat> so much more could be said about this there's so many different dynamics to it and we can just barely scratch the surface here tonight but father it is good to know that even if we're alone that we're never really alone we remember the words of Jesus before he ascended into heaven surely I am with you always to the very end of the age We look forward to the words that are promised in Revelation that the groom will come to gather his bride and we will be in eternal relationship with you. Until that day comes, Lord, by your presence, help us to walk faithfully to you, to trust in you, to love you as you love us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.